Well, good morning, everybody. We'll see if that works. Good morning, everybody. Good morning, good morning, good morning. I love that they like to talk. I love that they like to talk. You notice when I start talking about them, they shut up, right? So that, that's really a, an interesting thing. It's the same. There's a, there's a way of doing this, right, guys? You know? It's also if we just say, let us pray, everybody gets quiet. It's fine. If I could have uh, Mark Williams and Barney Estes come up and stand on this side, and Jacob Dolezal and Mr. Dwayne Adams come up and stand on this side, we're going to see a tag team wrestling match uh, this morning between those two. So I just want to point this. Yeah, you're on Mark's team. Deal with it. Okay, guys. So today, as we come together to rejoice and praise uh, our Heavenly Father, we're also excited to, um, to uh, appoint and to witness the appointment of two faithful servants of God, both Dwayne Adams and Jacob Dolezal, both to the position of elder within our community. Uh, this really is a significant milestone and moment inside of our church, uh, a time to dedicate these guys uh, to the commitment of guiding our congregation along a path of spiritual growth, uh, both of which want to do so by mirroring the, the Word of God, right? They want to lead by reflecting what God tells us to do inside of Scripture, and so as we entrust them with this uh, sacred responsibility, I want to reflect a bit on the biblical foundations that underpin uh, the role of elder within a community. In the book of Proverbs, chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, we are reminded to trust in the Lord with all our heart, knowing that he is the one who directs our path. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and he will direct your path. Both Dwayne and Jacob uh, embody this trust in their lives, right? They do this in, in everyday uh, ventures and endeavors, but we also are watching them make that unwavering commitment uh, to, to um, let God guide their steps in this congregation, in this, uh, this family here. In accordance with 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7, we also recognize the qualities that define an overseer. Uh, Dwayne and Jacob both exemplify all of these qualities very well. Their integrity, their character, their self-control all have been uh, evident in this family so far. They faithfully shepherded and served our congregation in various ways and for various times, right? Obviously, you guys are uh, far more familiar with Jacob, but, but both have given themselves to, to the care of our church. Elders, as outlined in Acts 14.23, are critical for the spiritual leadership of any church. Just as Paul and Barnabas uh, appointed elders in every church, we've actually gathered uh, in prayer and in fasting to seek God's guidance and blessing for both Dwayne and Jacob in this responsibility and this journey that they're on. In James chapter 5, verse 14, we're reminded of the importance of prayer, uh, especially for those within the role of leadership, right? And we are committing to this, uh, we as uh, leaders now, um, and we hope to invite you to a commitment to pray for this position, uh, to uphold Dwayne and Jacob in prayer as they lead and provide pastoral care for our congregation. 
So the duties of an elder uh, are, are seen kind of in various essential roles, and I just want to kind of highlight these for you real quick. We're going to walk through each one of them. Um, and so number one, uh, if we can put that up there, guys. Number one, the duties of our elders uh, are various. So the next slide here, guys. Uh, number one is spiritual leadership. Dwayne and Jacob will provide spiritual guidance and leadership. Their objective is to steer the church in accordance with our core beliefs and our mission. But for anybody who gets kind of scared with that kind of terminology, our mission and our core beliefs, uh, we believe we've rooted them deeply within God's word. And so that's, we're not trying to be a church that comes up with some crazy grandiose idea and God can just jump on board. We're trying to take our cues from him. Number two, pastoral care. Uh, both Dwayne and Jacob will offer compassionate pastoral care. You got to watch for Jacob. He's not as compassionate sometimes. No, I'm just teasing, right? <laughs> compassionate pastoral care, providing support and offering counsel and prayer to those who are in need. Uh, the, the, the older our church gets and the more we grow and the more different dynamics we experience as a church, the more these kinds of responsibilities uh, must fall on other people. There's only so much one or two or three people can do. And so it's really important that these uh, guys are joining in this. Number three, church governance. These uh, dedicated leaders will be instrumental in making critical decisions that shape the direction of our church, overseeing financial matters, and establishing policies. Again, funny technical terms that just say how we do things how we do things as people, right? How we do things as a, a community of believers. Number four, teaching and preaching. Uh, not every elder is actually called to the role of teaching and preaching, but the scripture says, but those who do are worthy of double honor. And I love the fact that both Dwayne and Jacob are gifted and called to this part of the ministry. And so they're going to share the word of God, contributing to the spiritual growth of our congregation through teaching and preaching, through the things that they do. That might happen on a Sunday morning. It might happen on, on different things that we do throughout the week. Whatever it is, they're going to be working towards that. Number five is discipline and accountability. And this is where people panic because a lot of churches have royally screwed this up, but discipline and accountability, they will help maintain discipline and accountability within the church, addressing moral and ethical concerns and assisting members in their faith journey. This is a really important thing, assisting all of us in our faith journey, not condemning us where we miss our faith journey, but assisting us through it, right? So please understand our approach to discipline and accountability is governed by Galatians chapter 6 verse 1. Here's what the word of God says. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. So we can leave our pitchfork and torches at home and we can talk about what it means to actually grow together in the Spirit of God. But, and this is a really important, uh, important component of what we do as leaders, but watch yourselves or you also may be tempted. Jacob and Dwayne, Mark, Barney, myself, we do not embark on the journey of discipline and, uh, and shaping anyone with this thought that we have it all together, right? So just as much as we are called to a position of shaping and disciplining the church, there are times where we miss it. And that is the, that is the relationship a family has. And so we invite you to that place as well. 
This is not, you know, we speak uh, from the chair here, okay? So number seven, mentoring and training. They will mentor and train emerging leaders, ensuring the community, uh, the continuity of strong, faithful leadership within our church. This is the objective for each of these. I've had a, a couple people ask the question, so what does an elder do? And, and it wasn't really, in my view, wasn't asked from a position of what does the Bible say? That's pretty easy to find out. But rather, what does an elder do within our church? And I hope that that answered some of that question. Of course, if you have further questions, you can continue to ask that. You can ask that of Dwayne, Jacob, myself, Barney, or Mark, and we'll continue to walk you through what leadership looks like as, uh, as a church or what it looks like for an elder. So as we celebrate this occasion, and I believe that this to be a, a momentous occasion, it's not an easy thing to select somebody for this role, I, I hope that you will first offer your congratulations and your support to both Dwayne and Jacob. So would you do that for us? So the last thing that we're going to do is we're going to unite together in prayer uh, and, and pray that God would continue to grow us in our faith and our love under wise leadership and wise direction. Amen. So if you want to pray uh, with us, you can stretch out your hand. If you don't do that, it's fine too. But I'm going to ask these guys to come to the center. We're going to lay hands on them and we are going to pray for their guidance and their wisdom and uh, that their spirits would be yielded to our Heavenly Father. Lord, I thank you for Duane, and I thank you for Jacob. I thank you for the heart and the desire that each one of these men have in leading people, uh, not for the sake of leading, but, Father, for the sake of honoring you, for the sake of seeing the church grow to maturity and grow in faithfulness and grow to, uh, to speak you into the world so that people might know the, the joy that we have found in your Son. I pray, Lord, for wisdom for Jacob and for Duane. I pray for humility for Jacob and Duane. I pray for uh, a spirit of gentleness in every uh, opportunity that they have with uh, discipline or correction. But I, I pray, Lord, that that would be the least of their, their jobs. I pray, Lord, that you would give them wisdom and strength as they begin to encourage and to teach and to guide and to direct in every way that they will be involved in. Lord, I thank you for both of these men. I thank you for their families. I thank you for what has shaped them to this point. And Lord, we look forward to how your spirit is going to shape them moving forward. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for how you are giving life to our church and how you are growing things in many ways. We, we praise you and thank you in Jesus' great name. Amen. Give these guys a hand one more time. So there's always things that these gentlemen will have to say and will have to, uh, to share with you. So I encourage you to get to know them. I encourage you to, uh, to uh, explore not only their, uh, their understanding of things, their knowledge and wisdom, but just explore them as people. They're good people. And that's where most of this starts, a relationship, getting to know people, right? So 
What we're going to do today is we're going to jump one more step into this uh, fun adventure that we have been having. Uh, it's fun to me, so if it's not fun to you, just keep it to yourself. But, uh, but <laughs> we're, we're going to jump into this fun adventure of walking through, again, structure and function of self. We're going to be looking at, uh, at the concept uh, specifically today of agency and gratitude. And when we get into this, I really do believe uh, you're going to have some... Uh, some fun, fun aha moments for life. But I want to I start by turning to Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 through 8. And I, wanna, I just want to set the stage by reading this passage of Scripture to you. And you can turn in your Bibles. It's not on the screen. But I want to I read this to you. And I want to kind of set the stage for what I'm going to talk about today. Uh, and then I'll bring this back around in just a little bit. Uh, Paul, writing to the church in Colossae, says this. He says, Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception. And there's the emphasis here, according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. The important thing that I want you to know before we jump into this is that philosophy is something that we all do and we all live by. Every one of us has a philosophy of life. We have a philosophy of, of religion, religious practice. We have a philosophy of work. We have a philosophy of play. We have, we have lots of philosophies, okay? Some of those philosophies fall into the category of traditions of men and elementary principles of the world, right? And the scripture is clear that you should not be held captive or let people hold you captive if your philosophy is rooted in those things, right? Traditions of men and the elementary principles of the world. Instead, we should all adopt philosophies, we should all throw away philosophies that aren't this way, but adopt philosophies that are rich according to Christ, okay? And what we'll see today as we work through these ideas of self and these ideas of, of different drives that we live by, you're going to see that there, is, there are clear connections to how God would wire us and how he has made us to, um, to learn and to understand these really cool things, okay? So last week, we actually talked about uh, the, the notion of humility and being empowered. And so what we'll talk about today just flows off the back of that. It actually becomes, um, it becomes the result of humility and empowerment, what we talk about today. But I want to start from the beginning again and just kind of go over this basic outline. In order to arrive at an idea of joy and contentment and peace inside of your life, in order to arrive at this place, you're going to need, we all need to have a healthy self, okay? We need to actually be healthy right here. How many of you have run through phases of your life where you go, I wasn't or I am not healthy, right? And I'm not just talking about physical health, although that could contribute to it, but many of us go through phases and times in life where we go, no, I, mentally, I'm not in a healthy place. 
I don't feel good about the decisions I make or, or about the thoughts I have towards people or whatever it is. I don't feel good about the things that God has called me to because I don't think I can do them with the love that he has called me to love with. So many of us go through this. And in order to get to a place of peace and contentment and joy, how many of you want that? To live in peace and contentment and joy? right? All of us want this. In order to get that, we actually have to start with self. And by the way, this is entirely, uh, this is entirely fitting with the story of redemptive history. God does not see a, a humanity that sins and falls, shorts of his, falls short of his glory and then just writes us off and starts over. His entire story is a story of redemption, which means God actually cares about self. He actually cares about the individual image bearer, the one who reflects him into the world. He cares about you, and he cares about me. And so it's really important that we get this idea of self uh, kind of understood, and then we work towards health. So the two pillars that lead to this peace and contentment and joy start with structure and function of self. The structure of the self goes like this. You have an unconscious mind. You have this kind of, if we think about it this way, we have this iceberg, and underneath this iceberg, we have this huge uh, amount of things that make up who we are, right? And they're under the surface, and not everybody sees them. And these things can, can make up, uh, or these things can be made up of your past hurts, the way you were raised, all kinds of things. But you have an unconscious mind, and that unconscious mind kind of works like a supercomputer. It's got every idea and thought that you've ever had. It's just there, okay? And it's an amazing thing, but we don't tap into it all because we actually just tap into what we need. It's just like Googling. You don't Google and say, give me the internet. You say, I want to know about this, right? And so with our unconscious mind, we have all this stuff that makes up who we are. And then the structure of self leads to a conscious mind. This is the awareness piece. This is what you are paying attention to. Maybe what you're foregrounding, what you, what you see, okay? After conscious mind, uh, you have defense mechanisms. All of us have them. And by the way, defensive me defense mechanisms as well as anxiety are not all wrong. I need you to hear me. Anxiety and defense mechanisms are natural to our condition for the reason that we have to protect ourselves. And so if danger comes, what do we do? What principles do we often talk about with danger? Fight or flight, right? And so some of us are like, I'll take it on head, you know, headlong. Or some of us are like, I've got to run. I've got to get out of here. All of that is because you have a good level of anxiety, a good level of fear, if you will, a good level of understanding that says, okay, there could be danger, and I don't want to die, so I'm going to set up some defense mechanisms. These are okay. This is not psychobabble. This is how you are wired, okay? So defense mechanisms uh, are, are exactly what they sound like, and they can be healthy, and they can be unhealthy. So now we have the unconscious mind, the conscious mind, defense mechanisms, and all of this kind of emerges in what we call character structure. And so character structure is the active engagement that you have with the world. And how is that displayed? That's the last piece of, un uh, of the structure of self, and that is the self. That is what everybody else sees. When you think about yourself, this is just what everybody sees. 
So the Mark Williams you see is the self of Mark Williams. But the self of Mark Williams is informed by his character structure, his active engagement in the world, his defense mechanisms, whether he's thinking about them all the time or not, his conscious mind and his unconscious mind, because you can pull these things up at any point. But this makes for self. When it comes to character structure, though, character is actually a... um, It's a process, right? Character is the adding uh, of what is deficient inside of yourself. So how many of you feel like your character has grown over the past 20 years, right? You've grown. Character is not static, okay? So character is this thing of adding what is deficient inside of you. So this is the one pillar. We have the structure of self. Now we have to look over at the function of self. This is the verb kind of way of being, right? This is the actions of life. So first comes in, in function of self is self-awareness. You have to recognize that there's an I wa- working in the world, right? There, there's a you, right? And everybody has to deal with it, okay? So you have self-awareness, and then you have those defense mechanisms that are kind of within you. You have all of these actually in action, Okay, so these play out. So this is how we engage, and there's a nuance to what I'm about to say. This is how we engage, not in the world, but safely within the world. This is what our defense mechanisms and actions lead to. Now, in order to do this well, we have our next piece of the the function of self, which would be salience. And salience is really just what you're paying attention to. I shared this a couple of uh, months ago. I said, said, uh, nobody in this room is thinking about their big toe until now, right? Because it wasn't salient. You didn't foreground it until somebody makes you foreground it or somebody brings it to your attention. When it comes to defense mechanisms, when it comes to your character, a lot of times what you are is not foregrounded until something provokes it. So you know when the scripture says that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks? And then all of a sudden somebody speaks something harsh to you and your reaction is to lose your crap, right? And all of a sudden people are just like, where did that come from? Where did that come from? Well, something that person did, something that happened made that part of your heart salient and all of a sudden you start lashing out. How many of you do that at home sometimes? How many of you do that at work sometimes? All the time. We got, we got to work on that, Jerry, but I understand. I understand. And you know what? I do it at work all the time, and I work here. Anyway, so, right? So, anyway, so, like, these things come out, right? What'd you say? Yeah, I know. He knows what I do. Anyway, okay, so, so salience is a very tricky thing because salience is both internal and external. There are things that become salient inside and some that become salient outside. And this actually enters into a a, a thing where it enters a problem that we have, which is called confirmation bias. And I want to talk about all of these things in just a second. But first, I'm going to play a clip for you. This is a comedian that I, I happen to like a lot. He's one of the rare ones that keeps his comedy clean, so it's really cool. But anyway, so I'm going to play this clip, and I want you to... I want you to relate to it, because I think you will, but I also want you to uh, spot some things that happen inside of this. So go ahead and play that clip, guys. I'm afraid of spiders, but I do have this much less rational fear. It only happens late at night when I'm driving by myself. The thought will pop into my head that maybe someone else is in the car with me. So I just sort of feel around back there. (laughs) You ever do that? I don't know what that is. I guess I want to touch an intruder before making eye contact. (laughs) 
outside of Iowa City recently, driving back to a hotel from a comedy club, and the thought happened. And here's the thing, it's not even so much that I'm afraid of getting carjacked, because it's only like triggered after I've been singing along with a song. <laughs> it's more just I'm like embarrassed he didn't like it. So I swipe back there, it comes out clean, but I still felt paranoid. So I moved on to the rarer phase two of my operation, which is to say as confidently as I can, I know you're back there. <laughs> Which is crazy, because there is no next part of that plan. I don't know what I would do if he responded. How do I think he's gonna act? Like, oh, you got me. Let's put this sword back in its sheath. Since you ruined the surprise. So nothing happened, but I still, I never felt more like, like I was being watched. So I'd never done this before. I start flashing my brights at every car that drives by. Just a Hail Mary. To get someone to follow me in case I need help or a witness. Nothing happens, and then something moved in the back of the car. I'm on the side of the road so fast, I, I run out of the car, I'm speed walking away from the back, and then I called 911 and told the operator that there was someone in my rental car. And then I heard the back wiper go, foom, foom. So I'm afraid of spiders. So first of all, I don't know, it feels like that was sped up. He talks so fast, but anyway. So what is really interesting about this is that fears and anxieties are often uh, a product, or our actions with fears and anxieties are, act are often a product of what we make salient, okay? So think about this. He's in his car, and what is he making salient? Internally, he's making salient that there could be an intruder in his car, Okay, to what degree is he going to act based on what he just made salient? Like, he's going, what, who does this, right? You know, I, I don't understand. And why does his attacker have a sword that's needing a sheath? Did anybody catch that? Anyway, so, but he's, he makes this idea salient so much that he goes to feeling. He goes to announcing, I know you're back there. He goes to hearing something that's not actually uh, an abnormal sound in the car. It's just the windshield wiper. But because of that sound and because the salient thing that he did in his mind was intruder, he stops the car, jumps out, and calls 911, right? Now, it's all funny when we're watching this, but here's the question. What things do you, when you're talking about yourself, when you're talking about the function of you, as it interplays with those around you, what things do you make salient in doubts, in struggles, in strife, in pain? What do you make salient then all, that all of a sudden you start to hear and confirm that that's actually what's happening? This displays confirmation bias in a, in a most powerful way. Who is in the back of his car? No one. But everything that he did confirmed the bias he came into it with, right? He was like, I know somebody's there. So the windshield wiper, that's obviously a murderer. Right? You know, all of this stuff. He makes it salient, and then he confirms all of his biases. We do this a lot, ladies and gentlemen. We do this a lot within our relationships. You look at your husband, you look at your wife, you look at your kids, you look at your boss, whatever, and you are convinced they're mad at you. And then everything they say and do confirms that they're mad at you. When the reality is, they're not. They're not mad at you at all. But you have so made this salient, this idea, foregrounded so much in your life that all of a sudden you can't see anything else but what's happening. Guys, do you see that if you don't work on self and get self 
healthy and balanced, it will read into life bad situations. And guess, out of all of us here, guess who's guilty of this? All of us. All of us. This is just a thing we do, okay? And many times we think we're doing it well because we're trying to protect ourselves. But we read into stuff. We hear things, right? So salience is what we are paying attention to or what we are foregrounding versus the background of the majority of life, right? And so we have inside salient things. That could be your doubts about yourself. That could be your doubts about other people, your thoughts, your ideas, whatever. The outside things that we, uh, that we make salient are true as well. If you see somebody uh, that is uh, co- uh, communicating to you through body language in a way that you don't understand, and you think, oh, they're miffed at me. They're so mad at me. And then you make it true in your head, right? This is a... This is a a problem, okay? And it's, it's not healthy, okay? But if we're going to live to joy and peace and contentment, we'll never get there if we keep making things salient that aren't true. We'll never get there if we keep living by confirmation biases. But we will get there when we look at ourselves and try to find a way to become healthy. So the next one that happens, we've got self-awareness and defense mechanisms and saliency. And then this all leads to behavior, what we actually do. The verb, what, what are we acting out inside of the world? When that behavior becomes healthy, we can hit that last piece of the function of self, which is where the generative drive comes in, which is we can actually strive for things. We can want more in life, right? We can, we can want to affect change in the world or, or try to get at something. But this all requires being healthy. Now, let's just put it in our mind that we have arrived at a healthy structure and function of self. When this is true, it leads to this idea of humility and empowerment. But let's check out why it leads to humility. Not because you, not always because you recognize you're not all that in a bag of chips, but because what you do recognize with humility is you realize how deeply complex everyone else is. Do you know how complex the person sitting next to you is? Yes, you do, Mercedes, you do. Anyway, so you you know how deeply complex, I've got people that have, you know, that are working through marriage stuff. I can see them going, yeah, yeah. Anyway, right, but but the idea here is there is is this idea of, uh, of complexity and humility says, wow, every decision the person that I love is going to make is filled with these kinds of things. What are they making salient? What's salient on their inside? What's salient on the outside? This leaves us with a a sense of humility that wants to act in a kind manner that says, oh my goodness, I'll bet you my tone of voice set that person off. So what I should do is I should go back to them and say, hey, I know I sounded aggressive there. I, I don't know why I'm talking that way. I'm sorry. Let's start again. We need to be humble, but the only way we can, we can reach humility is to actually take the time to understand every person is as complex as this structure and function of self, and we're all trying to figure this out. Did you know that? Some of you have been trying to figure this out, but you've never had titles or names or identification for any of this stuff. And giving you these tools, I think, deeply helps you go, oh, I see what's happening here. Now, listen, you don't have to point this out to your loved ones, and I highly recommend you don't unless they've asked, right? 
So if you're sitting there with somebody and you say, I see what you're making salient right now. The bitterness you have towards your father, and it's coming out to me. No, don't do that, right? Don't do that. It may need to be talked about, but it's not your job to, like, unearth everything, okay? Right? So, so we've got to work that. So when we have structure and function of self and they're healthy, it leads forward, ending in a sense of humility, profound humility that we are all complex beings. And then it leads to a place, humility leads to this place of empowerment. I can know what I can do and what I can't do. I can know that I am valuable even if I can't do a lot of things other people can do. I realize that I'm unique, one of eight billion people in the world, and that God has uniquely wired me for something. I love that reality. Then we come to what we're talking about today. After all of that stuff is nice and tidy, right, we, we come to agency and gratitude. And agency and gratitude are the result of humble empowerment or humility and empowerment in action. This is why agency and gratitude are, again, verb states. This is, these are actions that we're doing. So how do we live out our life? How do we live out our life uh, in our mind and in our decision-making process? Are we truly grateful for the things around us? Are we truly happy that people have been wired differently than we? Are we okay with this, Right? And all of these together, almost every psychologist in the world understands that they lead towards this weird ethereal uh, thing called happiness. I think it's better to understand it through the terms of contentment and peace and joy. I, I've never really been able to define happiness because it's kind of subjective, right? What you feel is happy is not what I feel is happy, but that's okay. But being content is a universal thing. Not in what makes you content, but the the reality of becoming content. And then the idea of peace. It, I don't even have to explain. I go, who wants peace? And people are like, I want peace, right? Because everybody actually gets it, right? So the state that we desire to achieve is all possible when we understand agency and we understand gratitude uh, in their right respects. In many ways, this is what children experience, and it becomes this thing that we long for, that we lost when we came of age, right? It seems that children, at a very healthy level, uh, can understand that they can act on the world, and they're just grateful for everything, right? They're just happy about everything. Now, don't get me wrong. There are times when our kids are not grateful, Right? I get that. But we all seem to want to go back to this level where, where uh, it's kind of before this unhealthy maturation process. And we, and we get to this place where we're, we're, we're just excited about life. This is a result of having a healthy structure and function of self. So let's, let's think about this from the top. And let's talk about agency and gratitude uh, as properly defined. The first one is agency. It'll be on the screen. An agency is simply this, the ability to influence one's functioning and a course of uh, events by actions, okay? So let me read this up here. Uh, the ability to influence one's functioning and course of events by actions. All of us have the ability to influence those things. All of us do. If you're unhealthy, what's the influence going to be? It's going to be unhealthy. But if it is healthy... 
This should lead to a healthy ability, a healthy influence, a healthy course of events and actions in your life. You all want that, right? You all want to have healthy actions put into the world. So again, this is a byproduct of humility, though. You want to make sure that that's there. And proper empowerment. I I spent a lot of time last week talking about the idea that if you don't feel empowered via many circumstances, you will never get to the point where you're acting on the world. Right? I have seen this a lot with children and parents who, and I made this point last week, I've seen this a lot with children and parents who micromanage or parents who are scared to death that their child is going to screw up or, or do something wrong, right? So what happens is they never empower their kid, and because they never empower their kid, their kid has no agency, and that's why we say we've got a 45-year-old living at home or something like this, right? Because there's no agency, there's no acting. And by the way, before you think that that's a, a harsh judgment or before you enact a harsh judgment on somebody in that predicament or situation, I want you to, again, go back to the humility thing and understand there are a lot of factors that went into a person not having agency or feeling like they couldn't act in the world. You know how easy it is to just judge people as lazy? Trust me, I do it all the time, right? It's very easy to just make that snap judgment. And then when you're challenged to reconsider, when you're challenged to push back and go, hold on, do you know their story? Do you know what's going on? All of a sudden you go, oh, I suppose there's a lot of factors that could have gone into this, right? So it's really important. It's hard, right? But it's important. Okay, so agency is clear. The ability to influence one's functioning and course of actions, uh, course of events in the world. Next one is gratitude, and for me, this is a big one. This is one that is just fascinating because I look around at the world and I'm not sure we always see people filled with gratitude, but it's not for the reason that you might think. Let's define gratitude in a more proper way. Gratitude, of course, is something like thanksgiving, and that's a beautiful thing. But gratitude truly is something like appropriate attitude. Gratitude is an appropriate attitude, and I know that that seems like something that needs to be nuanced in some way, but it's an appropriate attitude towards a situation, event, Uh, maybe it's a gift, maybe it's a kind word, maybe it's a harsh word, whatever it is. Gratitude is an appropriate attitude. When when you have people doing things in your life or or speaking into your life, what you respond with uh, needs to be appropriate. How many of you think that your kids are not so grateful all the time? Raise your hands. Yeah. Thanks a lot, Mom. (laughs) Kind of a jerky move is that? Anyway, we'll talk afterwards. Anyway, right? Not even close. But so... It's interesting because we think that people don't have a lot of gratitude uh, or a lot of thanksgiving for what's going on. But what we have to do is we have to actually analyze this in a right way, appropriate attitude. You know, if, if somebody reacts to, let's say you're, a, you're a, a gift giver and you give a gift to somebody and the gift you gave them, they love, but the personality they have is not a very excitable person, Okay. So you give them a gift, and they're like, thank you. 
and they move on. What's your response? Sometimes your response is, that's not an appropriate attitude, right? You should be jumping up and down and singing my praises and all this. Guess what? The person is not lacking gratitude. You're lacking understanding of what an appropriate response is, okay? What happens if somebody is over the top with their gratitude and, like, it's way too much? You're, you're never going to think that it's... You're never going to think that it's not appropriate. You're just going to be like, I don't respond that way. But when it comes to the lower side, it becomes challenging, right? I know uh, couples that get into these issues. Uh, There are many wives, many husbands that don't feel that the other one is grateful for them, right? And why? Why? Because they have an appropriate attitude that they're expecting to see. And I'm not talking to you, Brittany. It's okay. But (laughs) she was like, oh, no. Anyway, but they're expecting an appropriate attitude per their definition. And their spouse doesn't react that way. And then all of a sudden you live. Guess what happens? You've made salient what you already conclude. They're not grateful. You confirm your bias by reading their actions wrongly, right? And then you go and you tell all your friends and complain and whatever else you do, right? And then before too long, there's a giant train wreck and chaotic problem that shouldn't have ever been there. Why? Because you didn't see an appropriate attitude when you needed to see an appropriate attitude. What about this? What about something, uh, I was talking to Steph this week about the idea of, of gift giving. And what happens if you have somebody, I'll give you a, a hypothetical. You, you've, got, you've got somebody who thinks that certain gifts are a waste of money and a waste of effort, right? They're just like, that's just trivial stuff. Please don't do that, okay? Let's just use flowers, for example, right? So somebody gives flowers, but the person is like, flowers are a waste of time. Don't do that. I would rather you do something else. And let's say the other party comes and brings them flowers. What might you respond with? What what might you think about that uh, maybe appropriate response? Maybe it's an inappropriate response. What could be the response? Sorry. So it's a wife. She doesn't like flowers. The husband brings her flowers anyway. What's the response? Do what? I ask you not to do that. What else could be the response? Say again? What's this for? That's brilliant. You're like, what'd you do? Anyway, I love that one, right? I I love you, Carol. Anyway, what what was the one back here? You're not listening, okay? What was this for? What'd you do? You're not listening. Tell me yours again, Jeremy. I asked you not to do this. Guess what that can then translate to in their mind? grateful right or you're not kind you're not generous you're not actually loving me and then the other person goes you're just ungrateful right you you don't understand I did all this for you sometimes people can know that the other person doesn't like those gifts and they do it anyway what might be that uh motivation 
Because you're a turd. Yes, that's the motivation, right? Because you're, you're a jerk. Okay, so, but here's the deal. When you, uh, if you're in that situation and you know they don't like something, but you give them something anyway, and you know that it's going to bother them, you don't get to use that in your record later as saying, I've always been kind to you. I give you things you don't want. I, I always do this. This happens a lot, guys. Why is it? Because we're not actually paying attention to each other. We're not being healthy, functioning selves. We're actually back in our head about a lot of things, okay? So back to gratitude. It's an appropriate attitude towards things. Let's put this in a religious context. Let's put this in the the gospel and walking after Christ. Okay, so the appropriate attitude or response to a God who sacrifices his self to redeem and to save you, what is an appropriate response, according to the Bible? What? Worship? Gratitude? Praise? Pick up your cross. Reverence? What else? Oh, there's the magic word, obedience. It's one of my favorite words, right, to tell my daughters all the time, right? But but, so these are really important, but this is the natural uh, outflow. This is the appropriate attitude and appropriate response to what has been done. It would be uh, some level of uh, some lacking of gratitude to be like, you know what, I know you saved me, but whatever. I hope I get to heaven. I'm going to do what I want. That's, that's not gratitude, guys. That's not true devotion. Now, do you take that religious idea and you just put it into a normal human dynamic and you want to do a response that's in kind with something? And when you have a healthy structure and function of self, when you have a proportional or right level of humility and empowerment, you will absolutely act in a grateful way inside of your life. And here's what gratitude leads to, actual joy and peace in your relationships, doesn't it? If you're truly grateful for what someone does, what should be your response? Like, this is peaceful, this is joyful, this is amazing, right? Many, many relationships seem to Uh, you can kind of diagnose the challenge at the top. You can go, well, we have no joy and we have no peace and we have no contentment. None of this stuff is here. Okay, you have no joy, no peace, and no contentment. Next question, are you grateful for your spouse? (laughs) And the responses just flow, right? They're like, well, if he'd stop being a jerk, I'd be really grateful for him, right? If he'd actually listen. How many of you have heard that one, right? If he'd actually listen. Nate Bargatze does this great, he's a comedian, does this great bit. He says, my wife always tells me I don't listen. He's like, but I've always heard that part. Right? <laughs> right? Right? So, but it, it's fascinating, right? So how do we get to a place of health? Well, we can start at the end. If you look at the end result of your relationship, of anything that you have going, and there's not joy, and there's not peace, and there's not contentment, you need to rewind. And you need to look back. You need to say, are both parties acting? for good in our relationship, or both parties acting for good in the context of, of, this, uh, of this dynamic, right? Are both parties grateful for what is going on? Then take another step back. Are both parties humble? Are we both empowering each other? That's an important question. 
right? And then you take it step back even further. If the answer is no to many of those questions, then you start asking the questions that most people go to a counselor, rightly, they go to a counselor for, and they say, okay, where do we dig into self so I can understand what's gone wrong? How do I find it, right? And we trace it backwards, and we look for it, right? And when we find it, then what we do is we try to tweak that, and then we move forward again to see if it comes out right, right? Change the variable that's broken and see if the equation comes out balanced. And then if that's not it, you go back. And you just keep doing this. And you know what? This will make you more and more humble because you realize this is your life. This is my life. This is every person in this room's life. You try something, it fails. You try something, it fails. You try something, it fails. And then you just keep working and honing and tweaking. Guess what this is? The very thing that I told you before, which is character structure, right? Character is adding what is deficient in self. You go back, you find it, you add it, and you work yourself forward. These are really, really important things. So there are challenges to these things, and I want to briefly speak about those and set you up for what we're going to talk about next week in the challenges to these, uh, to these domains of agency and gratitude. The very first challenge, and it's probably the biggest challenge that you're going to face, is the narratives you tell yourself. Some of you are not grateful and you'll never be grateful because you keep telling yourself a story that is untrue. Some of you are never going to be grateful because other people keep feeding you stories. And then you tell yourself that story. If you're a person that says, back to a religious context, if you're a person that believes that the Bible tells us that we're nothing but wretched, miserable, no good sinners... And that's the only thing that the Bible says in your story. You've told yourself this. There's not much to be grateful for. There's much to be depressed about. But there's not much to be grateful for, right? Because you've told yourself a story. But that story is not fully true. On the other hand, if you tell yourself the story that you are the best thing since sliced bread and your stuff don't stink, if that's your story, right, you're not even going to think you need to be grateful. You're, you're so off on humility, we've got a deep problem, right? But the narratives we tell ourselves are important. And these narratives go back to that piece that I told you before, which is what we make salient. Which leads us back again to Colossians chapter 2, right? Sometimes what we make salient are philosophies and empty deception according to the traditions of men, according to elementary principles of the world but we don't make salient the principles and the philosophies that God actually speaks. The tradition of man would say, if you're going to lean towards one direction in the church, you are a wretched, pitiful sinner, and you don't even know if you're going to be saved ever. God just picks and chooses. That's miserable. But you make it salient, and that's all you do. But if you'll actually make salient the full word of God and understand all have sinned and fall short, but you are no longer slaves, you are friends of God, and that he calls you his children, and that he has welcomed you into his family, this changes the game. This changes absolutely everything. And you begin to be a person of life. So the narratives we tell ourselves in a religious context change everything. The narratives we tell ourselves in our marriages, the narratives we tell ourselves in our friendships, the narratives we tell ourselves at our workplace. One of those narratives might be this, might be, nobody ever appreciates me. You know what you're going to do with that narrative? 
You're going to confirm your bias at every turn. See, nobody appreciates me. Nobody knew I needed to hear attaboy because, well, I never say anything about it. I never call out for the need to be encouraged, right? And then I get nothing, and then I'm mad about it. Yeah, I understand, right? The narratives we tell ourselves are, are very nefarious, right? Uh, Dr. Michael Heiser said, your opinion of yourself is not superior to God's opinion of you. <laughs> I love that, right? Your opinion of yourself is not superior to God's opinion of you. And guess what? Your opinion and everyone else's opinion is not superior of God's opinion of you. I love that. I love that. So we need to remember what stories we're telling ourselves. We tell ourselves what we can have in life, what we are, what we are worth in life, what we are able to possess in life. Some, some people say, uh, nothing good will ever come of me. I don't deserve good things. You ever met somebody like that? Are you somebody like that? You're telling yourself a wrong story. You're telling yourself a wrong story. And if you do it, it will continue to create challenges in the domain of agency and gratitude. You won't have a reason to be grateful, and you won't want to act on anything. Because nothing good will ever come your way. I'm unworthy of love. How many have said that? I'm unworthy of love. That's a story that you tell yourself. And sure, there are things in life that might have confirmed that idea, but it is the opinions and traditions of men. It is not what God says. God came to save everyone. He has made you worthy. And what you find in life is what you, you recognize, what you realize that I am not a person unworthy of love. So I'm going to continue to trust God that that will happen important. So the stories we tell ourselves are a huge challenge in this. Another challenge, and this is where we're going next week, is, is the wrong side of anxiety. The wrong side of anxiety. If our anxiousness, if our fear is so high, we will never act in the world, we'll never be grateful for anything, we will not remain humble, we won't even understand why humility matters, we'll think that it's another attack on our character, we won't understand what empowerment looks like, and we'll have to go all the way back to the drawing board to figure out what's wrong in the structure and the function of ourselves. Was it the unconscious mind that planted these ideas of anxiety in us? Was it something from when we were kids? Was it something that someone said to us at one point? These are all possibilities, guys. And it's complex. And it takes time to discover it. And we have to dig for it, okay? So this is what this looks like. So next week, uh, I've tasked Mr. Jacob Dolezal with this, uh, this concept of anxiety because Jacob has... Uh, first-hand knowledge and, and first-hand uh, connection with this, and he, he has some really good insights and really good things to share with us about anxiety. So I hope that you'll join us for that. Um, I'll say this briefly about anxiety, is that um, everyone has a safe level of anxiety again, uh, but if you're not careful, it gets way out of whack. And that anxiety can get out of whack for many reasons. One could be trauma, and everybody needs to think through these things. I'm not telling you that everything you've gone through in your life or your mom and dad's fault when you were a child, but it's possible that it could be. It's 
possible that that did send you down a wrong path, right? Um, uh, there, are, there are things that manifest with un, unhealthy anxieties, like do you avoid things? Do you constantly put off balancing your checkbook because you're just scared of the outcome? Well, trust me, it's not going to help you by putting it off, right? But these are the anxieties we have. We put things off, we delay, we don't know what to do. Um, they take away empowerment. They take away all of these different factors. So I hope what you can take away from today is that if you have a healthy structure and function of self, which is a lot, you will lead into a life uh, that is 100% according to God's word, a life that is governed by humility and empowerment that translates from humility and empowerment into agency and acting in the world and being a grateful person. And when you embrace all of that, trust me, joy will come, contentment will come, right? Peace will actually come. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for the, the opportunity to look at your word and to look at the way you've wired us and begin in some small way, Lord, to understand it better. I pray, God, that you would help us to, to put all of these components together so that we might again look more and more like you at every step. Lord, we are, we are striving uh, for, for a, a, a way in life to reflect your glory into the world. We want that. All of us want that. We also feel stuck at times, not having the tools or the, the know-how to get there. We've also, Lord, come to church for, for sometimes our entire lifetime. And we hear warm, fuzzy stories that point us in a direction of uh, some kind of parable truth or some idea. But Lord, there are so many things going on in our lives day in and day out that we just need help with. I pray, Lord, that you would use the things that we've talked about today to actually offer hope to those that are here and to those that are watching online. I pray, Lord, that we would apply the tools and we would see in your word where they are good things and where we can look more like you if we're a people of humility and gratitude, a people empowered to act in the world and ultimately to bring about good, to bring about good to not only ourselves, but to those around us. Lord, we love you and we thank you for all that you do. In Jesus' great name, amen. So as you guys are getting ready to leave, I, I wanted to share one very important piece that it, there's a lot of things that go in and out of my mind as I'm teaching and uh, Steph had reminded me of this very important piece about gratitude um, there is a way to be absurdly grateful or to appear grateful when gratitude is not what you need to be expressing so listen to me if you're a person who has been abused in your life right? you're mistreated Maybe you're in a marriage or a relationship where you're called names and pushed around or something is abusive. It is not required, right? This is not an appropriate response. It is not required that you 
deal with the gaslighting and deal with the, the pain that is enacted by an abuser and you go, you must be grateful because at least they didn't kill you. Or you must be grateful because at least they let this or that happen or they put a roof over your head or, or they give you this or give you that. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? This is a really important thing when it comes to gratitude because true gratitude is, again, an appropriate action or an appropriate response. It is not faking it. It is not trying to tell somebody you're grateful for them because at least they didn't abuse you more, okay? If that is your situation and if that is the the predicament you find yourself in, your best thing to do is get help quickly, okay? Because you're being... You're being duped into things that are not good, okay? And this can go beyond a a, a romantic relationship. It can go into uh, mothers and fathers and their children. Uh, But please understand, appropriate response to gratitude really needs to be thought through. So I want to encourage you. If you're in a situation like that, seek help. You can come. You can talk to me. We can start working through that process. But if it's abuse... Don't be fooled into believing you need to be grateful for what's happening to you. Amen. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day and thank you for uh, just all that has has, uh, gone on today. I thank you for Dwayne and I thank you for Jacob. I thank you that you are growing and building and shaping this church. I thank you, Lord, for an opportunity to be able to share with a, with a community, with a church, things that are practical and real in the way that you've wired us. Father, I thank you that your word is, is effective in all of these different ways because it, it deals with humans, and, and that's what we're seeing. That's what we are. I pray, Lord, that the things that we are uh, talking about and the things that we continue to talk about and preach and communicate in this church would be things that that leave the traditions of men and the the philosophies of man uh, behind insofar as that they do not line up with you. If they line up with you, Lord, we want to rejoice and see what it is that you've done. We want to walk your way. We want to think your way. We want to live your way. So, Lord, we love you. We praise you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful day.